And welcome on in to the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. He is George Bremer. I am Ryan Hicking. We have, uh, George, allowed that awful Colts loss to the Falcons marinate now for just about 48 hours, 29-10, in case you live under rock and totally missed that beatdown of a game. Merry Christmas, by the way. The Colts really gave you something <laughs> to, to feel excited about, going to celebrate your, uh, your Christmas plans, that's for sure. But, George, now that we're, at least emotion-wise, two days away from the game, Looking back, if you had could use one word, maybe you want to, you know, do a little hyphen, two words, or if there's a phrase you want to use to describe what you saw on Sunday, what would that word or phrase be? Missed opportunity again. Uh, it felt like Cincinnati all over again in terms of you know this was a chance to take control of the division, uh, to put yourself in a really good spot in the wild card chase, uh, and to show everybody that that Cincinnati was a fluke, and you come out of there with even more questions than you had after Cincinnati. Uh, you're still tied in the wild card. You're still tied in the division, but you don't control your own destiny anymore. And you know, that we've been talking for a while. It's such a mosh pit of, of a wild card race that you just don't know what's going to happen from week to week in there. Now you're in a situation where if you end up tied head to head with Cincinnati, no matter what you do, you're gone. Right. Uh, so you've got to have either the Bengals lose or, Somebody else went out alongside you in Cincinnati to, to, to make this work. Uh, but the division, I think, is the biggest missed opportunity here because we talked about it going into the game. This was probably the toughest game Jacksonville had left. And if they were going to lose one, it would probably be here. Now, don't know what the situation is with Trevor Lawrence's shoulder, and I don't know you know, just how bad the, the Jaguars are, are feeling now after, what, four straight losses? Um, but you missed an opportunity. It was sitting right there on the table for you. Uh, and once again, much like Cincinnati game, total failure in every unit. That's a I love that word, especially because, like you said, it highlights outside of everything that happened that broke in the Colts' favor, and they just completely threw it all away. I would use the word disappointing because I mm -hmm. thought overall every single aspect of that game was a flat disappointment. Offensive line getting blown off the ball and getting literally no no push after a week. They just ran right down the Steelers' throat. Big time disappointment. Gardner Minshew had happy feet and hold on to the ball again. A few times he actually made some good passes. The receivers dropped him. The def you know defense, when you see they're not getting sacks and they're not getting takeaways, they don't get a lot of stops. Um, and the Falcons are moving up and down the 20s, no problem, after a little bit of stalemate in the second quarter there. like There was everything, everything that was a question mark that could have gone wrong went wrong. And every area we talked about for this Colts team needing to win in order to win this game for Falcons team that gave the ball away, that couldn't protect their quarterback, Colts just gave them everything. And that's why it was so disappointing because every aspect of that game, George, was as bad as it could have been. And that's just so frustrating because, yes, we saw it in Cincinnati. There was a similar kind of game. But we really thought, you know what, that's a team riding high. Not that you get complacent, again, in that moment, but almost kind of like the 49ers like we saw Monday night. You get so much praise thrown your way for three, four weeks at a time. Like, maybe you still still like in even inadvertently get a big head and maybe feel a little overconfident where a game like Cincinnati kind of humbling you is a good thing. And what happened, we saw right away that that Steelers game looked like they were focused and on point. And so I really thought that Cincinnati game, just with everything going as bad as it could have gotten or could have gone, I should say really since the Jaguars game in week six, when they just got blown off the field and were non-competitive, I really thought that Cincinnati game is going to be a one-off just because it's more of a wake up call than anything else. And a lot of what happened in Cincinnati, George, even down to the screen game itself, 
came back and bit the Colts right in the you-know-what on Sunday. And like I said, it was just – it was one of those games, too, that was frustrating because, well, eventually they did lose by three scores. For most of the game, they were within a score or two, so the game's there for you to take and and still you're still in it. But, like, watching – I don't know about you, but watching, I was like, there's no – like you had no belief they're ever going to come back just because for the first half, first quarter and a half, first two and a half quarters, they showed you no signs of life outside of that tremendous opening drive. And you're sitting there by the third quarter. It's like, just put me in my misery, honestly, at this point. Like the closer the score is, the more hope you have this, they could come back. But it's like you watch anytime they're on offense or even on defense, you're like, I can't trust them to get a stop defensively or a takeaway. And I can't trust them offensively to put a 10-play drive together to score a touchdown. It was, it was George disappointing in every aspect of the word. It felt like they needed somebody on either side of the ball, somebody to step up and, and make that huge play that, you know, kind of snapped everybody out of it, got, got things rolling again. And it just never happened. You never had that big sack or that big takeaway or that big gain on offense uh, that would just kind of, you know, put everybody back on track. And, and I thought one of the biggest moments of the game was right there at the start of the third quarter. Falcons get the ball start second half they're up 13 to 7 fumble the opening snap the ball's on the ground and Atlanta recovers it and it that to me was the game in a nutshell the Colts recover that you're knocking on the door who knows if you put that in the end zone you retake the lead everything that happens for the second half could have been different but instead like you said you just never had a feeling they were going to turn things around because all three units again were, were you know failing um Specials wasn't as bad as it was in Cincinnati, um, but they did not cover themselves in glory either. They 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 also did not come out and and make you know the big play. It didn't get that big punt return or or big kick return or something. You know, go back to the New England game. McKenzie gets the the country roads return and it just sort of gets everybody flowing again. It never happened. Nobody nobody wanted to step up and make that play, which I think brings me to the point that I texted you during the game. This offense without Michael Pittman Jr., the passing game looks lost. And when the passing game looks lost, from what we've seen, they have a real difficult time generating a running game as well. I definitely took Michael Pittman Jr. for granted, George. I'll be honest. Now, to his credit, he's been very durable. So it's, we haven't had a, a large opportunity to see what this offense is like without him, thankfully. And the one half we saw last week, I mean, they looked pretty damn good. So that's, you know, going back to our question we asked on Thursday going into this game, the preview pod was who is more important for the Colts to be out there on Sunday? Was it Jonathan Taylor or was it Michael Pittman Jr.? Smartly looking back, George, you said MPJ. I was going to say Jonathan Taylor because, again, if you can establish a run like they did against Pittsburgh, you take pressure off of uh, the passing game and open things up more. Um, so even if Michael Pittman Jr. is not there, you still have favorable coverage for Pierce, for Downs, for the tight ends who, and overall, tight ends – made a few plays. Uh, we're definitely mm -hmm. open more like kind of Carl Dukes has talked about when he came on to preview uh, the game with us from the Atlanta side, but because there was no run game to start and Jonathan Taylor got bottled up right away. And all of a sudden now the pressure was on the passing game. Like you said, you really saw that absence of Michael Pittman jr. Just in neon flashing lights, how big of an impact or how big of a loss I should say he was because it's third down and seven, George. And usually it's like, okay, that's MPJ time. And then he's, Minshew drops back, and when he's not getting happy feet, when he's not running out of the pocket or getting engulfed by what seemed to be just a, a wave after wave of Falcons defenders, he was throwing the ball, and there were definitely a few drops. Pierce, Downs had catchable balls they couldn't you know, make plays on, 
And that's where you really saw the loss of Pittman, where when you needed that third down, when you needed just a catch, like you said, even if it's not going to be a 50-yard game, but even just a 15-yard chain mover on third down, when you needed a play to be made, if Minshew was throwing catchable balls, they were dropping them. And that's where I think you really you hit the nail on the head there. The only positive, if you will, coming out of this game is if you're Michael Pittman Jr. and his agent, because you just put that game tape on to Chris Bowden in the offseason and say, hey, you better pay me whatever I'm asking for, because if not, if I'm not here, this is what you're looking at going forward. I mean, this, this is what your offense looks like without me. Is this what you Oof. want? Um, I always thought the passing game, too, it, it was every – if the line blocked well on, on a possession, then either Gardner ran out of the pocket before he should or didn't make a good throw or a receiver didn't make a play. If Gardner was in the pocket and doing what he should do, then the line let it collapse or you know the receiver didn't make a play. It was – one of those three elements failed. It felt like every pass, pass play, even the ones that worked – it felt like it worked in spite of one of those three things. They could never get it all together where, you know, it was just a, a smooth flowing kind of offense. You just never saw it. You never felt comfortable on any down. Like, okay, this is going to end up in a good play. You always felt like, and usually it didn't, you know, it was either an incompletion or a loss of yardage, um, you know, a penalty, although they weren't really bad with that as, as much. That's probably the one thing they didn't do as much this time around as they did in Cincinnati, but they were so bad in, in every other area. Uh, I think Blake Freeland is, is the other one that, that probably you look, if you want to look at someone is like, man, that, that was a really rough game. They all deserve it. I mean, right. first, much like Cincinnati, the entire roster, but Freeland just really seemed to struggle, especially with Clay's Campbell. Uh, another couple of times he got backed all the way into uh, Minshew. I think there was one time where actually Minshew like hit his foot on the way out of the pocket and went down. Um, you just can't. It, it's another, I guess, after Pittman, probably the next person who who came off best in, in this game was was Braden Smith. You're right. You're right. Because his absence was, was really sorely missed. And on that note, it was frustrating because, like I said, the offensive line, especially in the run blocking, was a big fat zero. We got no holes open. There was no push. I mean, third and one, they're struggling, and the time's getting stuffed, trying to run the ball for two yards and, and move the chains on drives They, you know, in the second half where they desperately needed to score and keep the drive alive. We're in fourth and short. You're, you're forced to go to the pass game, which is never a good sign um, in terms of, you know, again, the, the offensive line getting a push there. Which then, like I said, going to the the pass game, I don't. It's not a direct correlation because again, Michael Pittman Jr. has been out there, so he's been durable. It's not like they've missed him, or he's missed a lot of games because of injury, especially this year with Gardner Minshew. But I think that's part of the reason why his absence was. You saw Gardner Minshew's happy feet pop up again. It's been popping up here and there. George definitely in the second half of the season more than you would like. But you see his absence when the run game is not going, and now it's on Gardner where the, where he's throwing what was it thirty seven times I think thirty seven times. Um, on Sunday, even where like it was six sacks, I wouldn't say they're all on the offensive line. Like I thought maybe half, like if I have to go back and watch every sack, I could say at the top of my head, George, it felt like half the sacks were on Minshew getting happy feet and almost panicking earlier than he should. But I think that goes back to kind of what we're talking about when you know that safety blanket out there. And when it's third down, you're not confident in, Hey, that either Josh Downs is going to get open. Or Al Pierce, if I throw the ball his way, he's gonna make a play. Like when you don't have, I think that confidence, the way Minshew has that undoubtable confidence in Pittman, part I think that led to Minshew a few times, like I said, leaving the pocket early, 
dropping his eyes earlier than he should and then just kind of scrambling and, and now all of a sudden forcing a broken play that never worked out in their advantage either. And running out of the pocket, in part because he felt the walls caving in when, in fact, they weren't really caving in or he had another second or two. And that just – like, it was all connected, obviously. But that just goes back to just everything you saw from Sunday. It was just so disappointing and frustrating. Because anytime you needed a big play, it was someone or some area that was new in terms of letting them down. But it was all consistent in the sense that they were – it was just one big letdown offensively and defensively. And that led to what I thought was an interesting but fair quote from Shane Sykin after the game when he basically simply said, it wasn't us. I think he's 100% right about that. Like, that was, again, a very un-Colts-like performance. The, like, again, it, it, part of it's like you're playing at the backup quarterback. Remember that. So, like, your offense is limited just from the beginning. And I would say, to Sykin's point, he's right. What we saw on Sunday is not how the Colts look normally. But with that said, especially in the second half, George, we are seeing these type of performances start to pop up more frequently. Not every game, but every other game, every three games. And now like, it's frustrating because what we saw on Sunday wasn't exactly like, oh, this is the first time we saw this. This is now probably the third or fourth time we saw a game like this. And now they're starting to become more and more frequent, which is very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, offensively, it looked a lot like New England. Uh, really look a lot like Carolina without yeah. Kenny Moore making the two uh, interceptions that changed everything. Uh, it looked a lot like, obviously, the Cincinnati game that we mentioned. I mean, it's happened twice in the last three weeks, and I think that's probably the, the biggest concern. Uh, if you want to take one positive from that, those were both road games. The home game in between was really good. The last two regular season games are home games, so that could be the good news. The bad news, though, because of this game, you're unlikely to have a home game at home or a home game at home as opposed to a home game on the road. <laughs> you're unlikely to have a home game in the playoffs because of this one, because you're unlikely to win the division. And so I think that's <clears throat> and I saw a lot of that from the fan base on Sunday. I think that's one of the most disappointing to go back to your word elements of this is that I think a lot of people now feel like, well, even if Indianapolis does make the playoffs so they bounce back and, and they beat a red hot Raiders team on Sunday at home and they they win what will probably be a showdown game with Houston in, in the regular season finale how much confidence do you have in them going on the road and putting together a performance that's good enough to advance I, I think that's a really good question that I saw a lot of fans asking let me ask you this like remove the cult from this for a second is it crazy to say from the Jaguars perspective seeing how they just got handled uh by the Buccaneers on Sunday hearing Trevor Lawrence talk the way he talked after the game, where he basically was like, it looks like we don't practice. He has no answers. Peterson has no answers. Like you mentioned, uh, Trevor Lawrence with a shoulder injury as well coming out of that game. So it's something to watch. So you look at right now, the Jaguars, yes, they have the Panthers this week, which should be an easy win. Now the Panthers did drop 30 points on the, on the Packers. So maybe a sign of life. And then you go on the road to Tennessee for the finale, who was – a few seconds away from beating the Seahawks, I I probably will say, George, the Jaguars will go 2-0 and win the division. But is it like – I still at the Week 18 game going to Nashville, whether it's Will Levis or whether it's Ryan Tannehill, to Mike Vrabel's credit, that team is playing hard. And I don't think – especially with right now the disarray that the, that the Jaguars are in, I, I'll say this. I think it's more like – there's more of a chance they lose now than I thought this time last week. Like we oh, talked about last week, the Buccaneers was the ch biggest challenge. And you see how they played in that game, man. 
I don't think there's two for sure wins with this Jacksonville team. No, and especially no matter how things shake out, there's a good chance that the Jaguars are going to be in a lot of pressure going into that game naturally. The only way that the Jaguars avoid that is if they win next week and both the Colts and Texans lose. Right. If either Houston or Indy wins next week, then obviously that team can win the division with a win in, in a Jacksonville loss in the final week. So the pressure at that point will be tremendous on Jacksonville. Going down there in Nashville, we know has been a tough place for opponents this year. Uh, Tennessee, for whatever reason, just plays better down there. They've lost a couple games now, but they're close. They're tight. They lost Colts in overtime. They lost Seattle uh, by two points right there at the end. So, And then also, the league has just been drunk all season, for lack of a better word. I mean, you every time you're like, well, you know, this game's definitely going to end up in, in one team's favor. Saturday or Sunday night, Denver loses to the New England in a game that more or less eliminates the Broncos from the playoffs. And they can still get in, but they need a world of help now to, to make that happen. Whereas had they won, it was like getting close to 50-50 for them. So that game makes no sense. The Raiders come out and, and dominate Kansas City. You know, in the first game yesterday, that game makes no sense. There was a moment where it looked like the Giants were going to rally and hand the Eagles their fourth straight loss. And the Eagles were able to, to stabilize and, and win the game, but that one could have gone either way for a while. And then Baltimore, which is not, you know, nearly the situation with like New England and Denver, but, you know, I think most people thought San Francisco was going to win that game. Certainly the Ravens were aware of that and were commenting on it throughout the week. It, it's, it's always been a week-to-week league. But I feel like this year, even more so, every week has been its own season. You have no idea what version you're going to get of any of the 32 teams and how that's going to you know, match up on, on that, that game day. So that for that reason alone, Jacksonville could lose to Carolina because it's 2023 and that's what happens in the NFL. And that's also, too, a reason to feel – better again maybe not optimistic or as confident um but maybe better going into sunday's game against the raiders even again with what we just saw from both vegas on monday and the colts on sunday uh those two results alone would tell you you should not feel good about the colts going to this game whatsoever but you're like you're 100 right and that goes back to the colts this year to their credit Maybe outside of just that Carolina-New England back-to-back series, but that, again, was more just the offense not playing good and the defense played very well. We have not seen this Colts team in back-to-back weeks play two totally bad games. Right, The Jacksonville game in week six, no one showed up. That was a complete no-show on offense, defense, special teams, big fat zero. Now, they lost the next week against the Browns, but offensively, they were a lot better. And defensively, you know, a few bad calls go your way. Again, we don't have to rehash it, but they were right there and winning that game. They lost, and some areas played worse. Like, the, the Colts' turnovers were horrendous. And, again, the, at times the defense was not clutch. But there were also areas that said, oh, wow, this is a lot better and a lot cleaner than it was the week before. And even, again, against Carolina and New England, you won both games, and your defense played pretty damn well against both those teams. Bad offenses, but still, defense showed up and played well. The Colts have not laid two eggs in a row all year long. And like you said, too, before, going now back home, I think is also a huge help where you get punched in the mouth again. I think this time it's it's even more shocking than the, the Bengals game, just let alone of the opponent. 
and where they were going into this game, I think Colts are pretty damn confident they're going to win this game. And again, we were both looking at like, I mean, George, uh, Sunday morning, the line was two and a half for the Raven, uh, for the Falcons. Like, what, are, what am I looking at? What am I missing here? And just like classic Vegas, anytime you look at it and go, that makes no sense, it works out in their favor. But that was one of those where it's like, you got to look hard. And I just don't see a path, unless the Colts beat themselves, how they lose this game. And obviously, we know they get blown out and handled for most of it. But that is the, the good thing for the Colts that they have shown a knack each week, especially when the whole team throws together a big time stinker. They have always bounced back and played a lot sharper, like crisper, and a lot with a lot more sense of urgency. And I really hope we see and should expect. A lot of what we saw from Pittsburgh two weeks ago, I think, again, this upcoming Sunday. It's been interesting, too, because about midseason here, it flipped. For the first part of the year, they could not win at home, and they were gangbusters yeah. on the road. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of turned the other way. Now they look like a, a pretty good team at home, and they can't get anything going on on the road. So, um, you know, maybe the best thing for that is that, that they can win these last two home games and then flip things again going into the postseason. But it's Right now, I agree with everything you said. I mean, you have not seen them play back-to-back games like the Cincinnati game or the Atlanta game. In fact, those two and three weeks is the closest probably to it as far as every unit. Right. Just not getting it, you know, getting things together. Um, they have no choice this time. I mean, I think that's one of the things Chuck Pagani said all the time when, when you get into situations, say, you know, is the team ready for this? Or, you know, can, can you avoid that? And he'd say, they have no choice, and and that's where they are now. Um, because obviously, you lose to the Raiders. Not only do you let them back into the playoff hunt in shades of twenty twenty one, you more or less eliminate yourself. I mean, at that point, you're going to need just like Denver does now. You're going to need so much help. And we talked about it at the top of the show. Even if you went out, you need a little bit of help. Not a crazy amount of help, but a little bit of help. You need Cincinnati to either lose once or somebody else to be in that tie. So it's at least a three-way tie, which I don't know. The way this year's gone will probably be a 15-way tie somehow at the end of the year. But um, you're now in a situation where, and we've been saying that for a number of weeks, that this is a playoff game. And it really has been for about three or four weeks. And they're like one and two in playoff games now, I think. Um, so you, this one, you can't. You, you've missed enough opportunities. Cincinnati, Missed opportunity. Atlanta, missed opportunity. This time, three strikes are out. I 100% agree. And you look at it like the Bengals. I just check, double-checking their schedule. At the Chiefs, home against the Browns. Two teams that are going to go into those specific games fired up with a reason to win, right? I mean, Kansas City, you come off of that just embarrassing performance at home against the Raiders. Now you're at home. You know you're going to come out there with your hair on fire trying to prove everyone wrong and try to at least for yourself, bare minimum, get back on the right track on playoff time. Browns right now are playing for the five seed, and I think at this point, too, uh, playing to hold on to that, and especially with how the AFC South is looking up. If you're the Browns, they will probably be favored. I mean, honestly, like Browns-Jaguars, wildcard weekend, it's close in terms of the spreads. If you're you're Cleveland, you're going to be fighting in that game to keep your five spot, especially if the Bills continue to stay red hot, uh, because that's a very winnable game in the first round, whoever most likely take on the uh, wins the AFC South. And so, again, Cincinnati is going to have their hands full. There, there are two games. You look at it, George, two games at home, two winnable games. Like this is, like you said, right in the hands of the Colts. If you can't take care of business 
at home in late season games in January, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs, back a quarterback or not. So it is frustrating. And like you said, a huge missed opportunity Sunday in Atlanta to give yourself bare minimum cushion, right? To where, God forbid, if one thing goes wrong, you still have a little bit of leeway here um, to where now you don't have to win these next two games um, and you make breaks for yourself, not to mention take over first place in the AFC South solely. That opportunity missed probably dead and gone. But still, like you said, I mean, you need a little bit of help. But for the most part, it is straightforward. You win two games at home, two winnable games, you are most likely in the playoffs. You can't ask for anything more. Like I said, the last time we saw them in a playoff game where everyone acknowledged it's a playoff game going in against the Steelers, bad first quarter, great three quarters, they won going away. Need that same intensity right now going into this game. And if you're the Colts for how disappointing it is for the Bengals and the Falcons games to pop up two times in the last three weeks with a big chance to, again, really take a stranglehold of your playoff seating and positioning, this is still everything is right there in front of you, George. Everything you could possibly ask for. Two games at home, both very winnable. Let's go take care of business. Let's go. The division race and the wild card race have been very forgiving uh, throughout November and December. And that's the Colts have been able to take advantage of that and stay in the race. I also think, you know, we should mention like part of the reason that Sunday was so disappointing is because they've exceeded expectations so, so greatly this year. Um, You know, I think they deserve credit for that. They, They were good enough to break your heart. And I don't think that that was necessarily something that was expected coming in. So I, you know, no matter how the season ends, we said, I think week three or week four, this is already more fun than last year. Um, I think it's probably reached a point where it's more fun than 2021, no matter how things go here. Um, just because that year became just, you know, so disastrous down the stretch. And, and I think this year you, there were no expectations. That 2021 team coming into the year, hey, you know, they, they're going to figure this out. They're going to get Frank Reich's going to fix Carson Wentz. They're going to make a playoff run. They're going to start moving in the right direction again. Obviously, 2022, you had the, the owner talking about a new golden era, you know, and, and you win four games. This year, there were no expectations. And, right. you know, I think that they deserve some credit for that. But now they've played well enough that there are expectations. And I think that that Zaire Franklin talked about it way back in training camp. They've been on teams before that were expected to, to win big and, and nothing happened. And he'd been on teams before that weren't there wasn't anything expected of them. And they were able to, you know, create situations for themselves. So give the Colts credit for getting in a situation where there are expectations. But I think all that is a a really roundabout way of saying, even if they win the last two games and somehow the things don't go their way and Cincinnati is the only team tied with them and the Bengals get in, I think you would still feel good at 10 and seven that you finish the year. Right. And, and you were, whereas if you're eight and nine, I think a lot of that stuff that happened early in the year that created these expectations will be more forgotten. It is, it's tough because you're right. Like the good news is if they collapse down the stretch, let's say, and lose these next two games and you obviously pile on the Falcons loss, you lose three straight and kind of have 2021 repeat itself for the most part over again. And you miss out on the playoffs. The good news is, is unlike 2021 going into 2022, you're not bringing in Matt Ryan, right? You're bringing back Anthony Richardson, who in the short time there was very promising and very exciting. So no matter how this season ends, good or bad, I guess good 
really the only way being maybe you win the Super Bowl because I think even if you lose a playoff game, it's frustrating in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, take away, but in the moment, it's frustrating when you want to win a playoff game. But like, bear, like you are getting the biggest piece of your team back. So it is like one of those where it's like it is nice to kind of have that in your back pocket of, hey, no matter how the season ends, it's already been exciting enough to your point where we never thought we'd be sitting here on December 26th talking about in back in August when we were recording in July, we'd be talking about a team in the playoff race with two home games to basically determine their own destiny here uh, to make the playoffs or not. But with that said, I still like this is still obviously important. And that's why I really like the way they played against the Steelers so much last week. Because with such a young roster, right? It's I think we're seeing George more than ever this year that it is so much more than the quarterback. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, quarterback is important and it's the most important position in football. But head coach, you really need a head coach that's great in these big time moments. You need a team that can rise up to the moment and play well and also compliment the quarterback, not just have the quarterback put the entire team on his back and try to lead you to the playoffs. That doesn't work. You need a full team effort here in terms of trying to win a Super Bowl. And part of that is playing one well big moments. And that's why I think these next two games are so important and why I thought the Pittsburgh game was so encouraging. Because again, even if they, even if they like I said, win the next two games, miss out on the playoffs. Disappointing at 10-7. and seven. But with that said, you can feel good at least of, well, these two games were basically playoff games and the Colts at home took care of business. And like for a young roster for them to, if they win, I'm assuming, right, they're going to play well in those games. That means that the young guys in these big moments played well to put the Colts in a position to make the playoffs, which is huge now going forward because if you get, I mean, these are basically playoff games, right? Even if you're not in the playoffs, the intensity is still there. If you can get guys that are young, that face playoff intensity moments and are not afraid and come out confident and make plays, that is huge going forward to where that can almost, I think, next year kind of make Anthony Richardson's life easier where he doesn't have to feel like Josh Allen does sometimes where it's like, oh, I got to put the team on my back here and I got to do everything because these guys can't be trusted to make some big plays. If they can almost, in a way, uplift Richardson next year because, hey, look, big game, don't worry, we got you. We'll block, we'll tackle, and we can make plays outside of just you. It just, I think it's one of those those feelings and one of those like intangibles for a team that can truly bring them along faster than maybe we even thought. And so that's why it's like, because you're right, because they don't control their own destiny, they could win these next two games and miss out on the playoffs. And that's why, like, if they just win these next two games, I think whatever happens, George, I will feel good about this season in part because these are two playoff games at home against two teams also fighting for their playoff lives. You're not playing the Panthers and you're not playing the Patriots that the season's been over for six weeks and they're mailing it in. You are playing playoff-hungry teams that are going to come in motivated and right now seeing the same prize you do. You saw the Steelers and you beat them. But if you could do that two more times at home, that just makes going to next year feel so much better because overall, a young team, but starting with their head coach, not afraid of the big moment. We've seen that from plenty of teams around the league where come playoff time, they're regular season juggernauts and then they're playoff paper tigers. If you could be this Colts team that's resilient, that's gritty, that is not afraid of the moment, George. I mean, we could be talking about 2023 and just the, the foundation building block. We could be talking about this year for the next decade in terms of experience and belief starting now, building that foundation now, even without your quarterback, this could be 
if you can come through these next two games, we could be talking about like this really setting the path forward quickly for a team that could be in the mix every year. And that's why these two games are so important because if you lose them, uh, then you've got a, another scar, as Frank Reich was referring to with the Jacksonville game. And you've got something, you know, baggage that you're carrying in, uh, which would be what, third straight year uh, that you're carrying like oh. really significant baggage into the offseason. You don't want to do that, obviously. You want to be able to, to celebrate Anthony Richardson coming back. You want to be able to celebrate, uh, you know, how this young roster being able to take that next step. And it's going to, not that it won't happen if they're eight and nine, but it, it, there's going to be a different feeling, obviously, if you're 10 and seven or you're eight and nine. Um, and obviously, a different feeling if you were in the playoffs or if you weren't. I mean, they get into the playoffs and they do play well and they lose a close game to a good team. That's going to leave a different taste in your mouth, too. And I go back to 2018, winning that first round game in, in Houston and, you know, then going into Kansas City and running out of gas and people feeling like this, this is going to be a team that you know, you're going to have to reckon with for the next, what, five, six, seven years, probably at least. And then, you know, obviously the, the retirement of Andrew Luck derailed <laughs> all of that. But you could have that feeling again this year if you finish things off the right way. If you win these last two games and you at least put a good showing up in the playoffs, if you don't, there will be a little bit of a pall over. Like you said, I, I think it's only natural. If you lose the last three to end this season or even two of the last three to end the season, there's always going to be that what might have been. And it's going to start with the quarterback. What if Anthony Richardson had been able to play all year long? But like you said, I, it's not just about him. It's about everything else that, that this team can do. Uh, and they showed it against Pittsburgh. That was probably the ideal performance this year. Can they show it again against the Raiders? Pierce is going to be coaching for his job, Antonio mm -hmm. Pierce. There's, there's no question about that. I think he probably should have already earned it, honestly, unless they just get steamrolled these last two games. The, that defense is playing at a level that's pretty, pretty remarkable. You say what you will about everything else they're doing. Their defense, uh, what they did in Kansas City was impressive. What they did the week before against the Chargers was impressive. Uh, the Colts are going to have their work cut out for them there. They're going to have another hungry team. And then if they are able to take care of business in that game and win, the Houston game is absolutely a playoff game in every way uh, because it will, in all likelihood, mean the winner is going to the playoffs. You're 100% right. And I think we saw last year George losing is contagious, right? As soon as mm – -hmm. Frank Reich, was, well, really, once they lost the Tennessee game and you kind of saw Ursay panic and the firing started, the benchings, the firings, losing was contagious and they could not, even when they're up 33-0 at halftime, could not figure out a way, right, to get over the hump and win a game. On the flip side, I think winning is contagious as well. And that's why, again, like you look at these last two games here, whatever, like again, if you blow an opportunity to make the playoffs at 10 and seven and you lose a tiebreaker, it's like, don't get me wrong. It's frustrating. Our post game pod on that Sunday after the Texans game, if we're sitting here and the math checks out and they lose out and they miss out on the playoffs, despite winning the last two, it's going to be a, a somber pod. Like it's going to be frustrating that they blew an opportunity to make the playoffs. But with that said, I think you carry over so much momentum to where again, even though your quarterback is not on the field, if the other 52 guys on the roster that are going to be a majority will be back next year, knowing how to win, right? Facing those playoff caliber moments and knowing how to win now, I think is a carryover. I think it's tough because, right, like we've seen the league so many times, we expect, oh, that team finished hot. They're going to carry that over into next year. 
honestly, I bought that with the Jaguars. With how strong they finish, this team's going to be a mm-hmm. Super Bowl contender this year. They've been anything but. It is really hard and very rare to carry over momentum and luck from one year to the next, right? But I do think in like situations when it comes to tight games, big games, knowing how to win, you carry over that knowledge and what is confidence if you come through and win enough of them, you carry that over as long as a large part of the team stays. And obviously this Colts core, right? The, we have the core right here. They're going to be there for a while. You win these next two games and you win three out of the four to finish the year that basically all four playoff games, but really all three home games are truly playoff intensity games where the three opponents you are facing in the Steelers and then now upcoming the Raiders and Texans, for the most part, it is truly a loser goes home. Like it's not, oh, there's still a chance. The loser season is over. And so if you can win three of those games, George, that's, I think that confidence more than anything carries over to where even again, if Richardson's not playing, that winning being contagious thing, I think will almost in a way be like osmosis where Richardson can envelop that, if you will, or take that in, even though he's not been on the field and playing in these big games, that just makes his development next year, I think, easier, frankly. And it gives uh, Steichen confidence. It gives his team confidence. And I think it would just be, again, I think it would really help their their growth and their trajectory where, again, we we talked about 2023 not mattering, right? Wins and losses. We said that on repeat, all matters is Anthony Richardson's development. Obviously, that did not go as we thought. But here we are talking about like this team at uh, at eight and seven. Like you now win these next two games. Like that is the second best thing that could have happened from this year. Is okay. Richardson can't develop, but you're essentially developing the rest of the roster to show you what it takes to be a championship level. I'll put that in air quotes because again, they're not competing for a Super Bowl this year. But like you know how to win. You get that DNA inside you, George, which I think is. You can absolutely take that from one year to the next and just be tremendous for the growth and trajectory of this team. And just have those experiences in, in your back pocket. I mean, these young kids right. coming back next year, understanding, like you said, that you won in this environment before, it it, it does help, I think. Uh, it's something you can build on. And when you get into training camp, your, your, your thought process is a lot different. I guarantee you they finished 10-7 and seven this year, no matter how everything shakes out around them. They're going to come in training camp next year thinking the number one goal is going to be to end this division winless streak to, to win the AFC South. And it should be at that point. Uh, and again, that's why these two games are so huge because eight and nine, they'll still say it. That'll still be the goal, but will they get the entire fan base behind them? Will people believe outside the locker room? You know, that it's going to determine everything about how the off season is viewed and how the preseason is viewed next year uh, by these two games. And yeah, the playoffs will, will definitely factor into that in, in a major way as well. But I think these two games in particular are just, they're must-wins. There's no question about it. Uh, And one thing we really didn't talk about, and we don't have a whole ton of time uh, left, but I do think we need to at least mention it. The defense, uh, the failure that that they had to stop a backup quarterback again, and and of course, Arthur Smith realizes that Bijan Robinson and Kyle Pitts are on the team this week. Uh, But the failure that they had. Fan of the pod, George. should Gus Bradley's job be in jeopardy? Is is this, I, I think it's going to be something to watch in the offseason. We'll see. I'm sure Shane will get asked about it uh, probably as, as early as Wednesday. Um, and and I'm sure he'll be asked about it, you know, throughout the rest of the season and in the early part of the offseason. And I'm sure he'll tell us nothing. But <laughs> I think 
that's a legitimate conversation at this point, just because uh, so many times against these backup quarterbacks where you go in and it's one of the reasons you feel really confident that this team could win the game. They have allowed the, the backups to do the one thing they do. Well, the thing I don't understand you play that shell a lot. And against the good teams, it makes sense. Take away the big play, keep everything in front of you with the backups. That's their game. That's what they want to do. Anyway, get the ball out quick and, you know, throw it underneath. Can you change that? And the reason it's relevant to me is happening all over again with Aiden O'Connell on Sunday. Yeah, We saw him not complete a pass in, what, the last three quarters of the game yesterday. Um, you know, can, can you force him into some mistakes? Um, can, can you, you know, take away the thing that he wants to do, which, again, is throw the ball underneath and get those easy completions? I, I think it's important in these last two weeks for Gus Bradley. He's changed things up throughout the year, but it just feels like against these backup quarterbacks too often, he's giving them the one thing that that helps them be successful. And that's the biggest frustration with Gus. I think personally, he's got a little too much heat, but like, like that's where you're right. He is not, he's changed things up a little bit, but not like, I do think what we see with Shane second, you do have to be malleable week to week where I think sometimes whether it's constructing the offense to what you have just health-wise, the guys on the roster, or what the defense does well, you can maybe exploit some weaknesses. I think being again, being able to change how you play week to week is one of the biggest ways to win. And that's, I mean, honestly, Bill Belichick did that for 20 years, right? That's why the Patriots are so damn successful is there was no, this is our system. You're either going to stop us or you're not. We're going to change week to week because we're going to either expose a weakness you have we're going to try to take away a strength you have and you're not going to be able to, you know, be ready to prepare for it and stop it. And with Gus, it's kind of like, this is my way of the highway for the most part. And like you said, against good teams, it works, but against backups, you have to like, there's a failure to understand almost. It feels like, well, what they're going to try to do. And it's like, you said with Taylor Heineke, well, he'll take the dump offs. He'll take the underneath passes. He'll take those 10 yard completions all day and he won't get tired or won't get, anxious to throw the ball deep and, and try to bait him into some bad passes. And we saw, like I said, with Jake Browning, we saw Taylor Heineke, like when quarterbacks are patient, this defense is problematic. And that's a frustrating thing is there's no changing. There's no, you know what? One week, I know it's not his DNA, but for this game, Taylor Heineke really struggles under pressure. So we're going to blitz the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Colts, George have one of the best successful blitz rates or I guess. Yeah. My like pressure rates when they blitz in the league. I, th- I think it's number one. It may have changed the last week or two. I've not seen an updated list since Sunday, but right. They, they blitz very rarely, but when they do blitz, it works very well. And it's just like, even in one game, if you change up and say, you know what, this is the game where we got to now be more of a blitz team than a zone team more than any other week we've shown. Like there's just, like you said, a failure to change week to week, which is frustrating because that I think is now the key to success in the NFL is adapting your scheme based on the opponent you're playing. And when you kind of have this my way or the highway um, sort of mindset, like Gus has kind of shown, it leaves you very vulnerable and very susceptible to games like we saw on Sunday in Atlanta and games like we saw a few weeks ago in Cincinnati. And it's frustrating and it also can't happen. You can even go back to the Cleveland game and PJ Walker. You know, being allowed to to it wasn't a game long thing, but late in that game, being allowed to to take the easy completions and and you know you just can't. There's been games where he's been a little 
well, he's changed his coverage up a lot this year. And there was one game early this year, one, I can't remember which one, just one, where they blitzed a little more often uh, than the, than they have. But it's not been, like you said, it's not been a week-to-week thing. And, and I think it's more an aggression thing, especially against these younger, less experienced quarterbacks. I mean, I would think on Sunday, the, the primary goal would be to, you know, fluster Aiden O'Connell. And if it's not working with a four-man front, great. If it is, great. Everybody in the league would rather just right. do that if it's working. Um, but if it's not that week, send them some help and 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 get after these guys because again, um, make them do what they don't want to do, not what they're coming into the game hoping they can do. Part of it's like making your own luck, right? Some sometimes some games dictate, hey, look, we're just gonna we're gonna be patient. And we're gonna basically have the quarterback get so impatient that you're just gonna force it, and that's when we're gonna feast. Some games, like I said, it works. Other times you got to go in there and say, we're going to be the aggressors. We're going to be the ones say, we're making our own luck here. We're going to make a play, blitz, and all of a sudden get a strip sack, get a big sack on third down, get an interception. Like There are plenty of games where, like you said, being the aggressor uh, and going after the offense instead of having the offense come to you works. And we've not seen it, like you said, enough. Not been too many adjustments. And unfortunately, like I said, it, especially a trend with backup quarterbacks, they get time. They have picked apart this Colts defense uh, a ton, and it's led to some losses, which is infuriating and frustrating. Like I said, it's definitely going to be – I mean, he can make up for here in the last two weeks. Um, still, I don't think two games are going to – should or will dictate his job security for next year. But like I said, it's definitely going to be one of the bigger storylines we follow without a doubt. But this week, like you said, you cannot have the same game plan as you had in Atlanta and in Cincinnati this Sunday against the Raiders. You are a million percent – right about that all right so that'll do for this midweek edition of the blue horseshoe pod we'll dive more into this big time playoff raiders matchup um we're back with you on thursday make sure you subscribe to youtube blue horseshoe podcast and wherever you get your pods blue horseshoe podcast if you are off hey jealous enjoy the rest of the holiday week if you're working well hopefully we made this workday go by a little bit faster for you and we'll try to make thursdays go by a little quicker as well So have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you Thursday right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.